Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is the one and only Winona Judd, which begs the first question. I always thought it was Winona. Is it Winona or Winona? Seriously? It's Winona. Okay, I Winona. I heard that the inspiration was the song Route 66. Is that true? It is true that it's Route 66. I was named uh, after Winoni Harris, um, a black blues man, and Ray Benson gave me my name back when I was mm, 12 or 13. Okay. How did you encounter <laughs> Ray Benson of Asleep at the Wheel at age 12 or 13? Interesting story. I ended up in Austin, Texas with my mother, and she was dating uh, one of the band members and we would go every night and sit and watch asleep at the wheel and uh, the fabulous thunderbirds and i grew to love ray um, as an elder and he just took me under his wing and he loved me and he had no idea i sang by the way i was very shy and i think he was just such a loving person that he took me under his wing and he and my mom both decided that I wanted to change my name anyway, because Christina was just a little too boring. Okay, you know, there are a lot of uh, famous musicians like Elton John, although he legally changed his name, or Alice mm -hmm. Cooper, mm -hmm. in their regular life, they go with their given name, in his case, Reg or Vince. Do your <laughs> friends call you Winona, or do they call you Christina? They call me Y. Um, Christina uh, is long uh, past that was my go-to-school years, high school. I think I ended in 10th grade, Christina, and became Winona. And officially, when I got my first check, Bob, I um, changed it legally to Winona when I got my first check for $25 singing here in Nashville. And so I decided, okay, it's time. Here we go. Okay, if we looked at your passport, what is the last name? <laughs> 
uh, Judd at this point. You know what? That's an interesting question. I'm going to have to go back. Is my passport Christina Claire Simonella? No, it's Winona Ellen Judd because I changed it legally. That's right. I am a Gemini, so I have two names for two people here. Uh, are you into astrology? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I believe God created everything. So, hey, I'm, I can go where you lead me. I can go where you lead me. I'm not quite sure where I'm going. But you're going well, then you better <laughs> you're going to Mexico to the girls just want a, a concert. How did you get involved in that? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, I have a huge um, following and people just love music and Brandy Carlisle and I are joined uh, forever. She's very, very dear to me. When Mom died, I went on tour and Brandy became my right hand. And uh, literally, my left lung, she became so immersed in the tour, knew every song, knew every breath, knew everything. And I just, we got really close, and I just love her. And she invited me because she knows I'm really fun. And um, I've pretty much done it all at this point, Bob, at least tw- at least twice. You know, I've done cruises, I've done Hell's Angels rallies i've done the presidential six times president singing too and this is going to look good on the resume because i'm going down to mexico and sing uh mama she's crazy instead of mama he's crazy so here we go okay so there are a couple of questions how did you literally <laughs> meet brandy carlisle oh i met her let's see when was the first time i'm trying to think huh brandy when i met brandy what year? I think it was two years ago I met Brandy. And um, all of a sudden, I I don't know how to explain it other than two spirits collide, and she's the closest thing to a sister I've ever had. Okay. Occasionally, you talk to another person. This is audio only, just for the people playing the home game. Who are you talking to? I'm talking to uh, my right hand, Lindsay, because I don't do well with dates. I could tell you what you were wearing, and I could tell you what we were doing, eating, and playing what game. But I have a hard time remembering because of my history or my my history. I have so much that happens so fast, and so my brain has a hard time remembering specific scheduled dates. So let's stay with Brandy for a second. How did you literally get connected with her? Well, through music, and I. She came to Nashville. Um, I met her with Tanya Tucker as well, and we just became fast friends. And when mom died, she literally stopped what she was doing and flew in to sing at the memorial. And um, you always remember who your people are there at moments like that, your wedding or a funeral. Um, And Brandy became literally the person that I sat in the um, dressing room and just wept openly because she. I trust her. I trust her with my life, really. Professionally and personally. She's been to the farm. We've been on a side-by-side together talking about Joni Mitchell and just loving music. And um, I want, I'm working on a song with her right now. You say you're fun. Can you expand that? <laughs> well, I think I have um, a little bit of a reputation for being really serious. And I think it comes from being stuck on a bus with my mom for 10 years. Um and I, I, I will say I lost a little bit of my joy because everything was really strict and specific. And I was raised, she's a tough bitch. And uh, I was raised with her, you know, being the boss lady. 
And when I became solo, I went out and got a tattoo and um, bought a Harley, if that tells you anything. And since then, I've been trying to get away with as much as I can legally. And um, I just really try. I try really hard to not take all this so stinking seriously because it gets really old really fast. Okay, so by time this year is because the event in the playa is literally just a couple of days away. Are you going to be the type of person who's hanging in your hotel room? Are you going to be available? Are you going to be drinking? Are you going to be smoking? What's Winona going to be like down in Mexico? You tell me. I'm so ready to. I bought a wig for 80s night. I think I'm going to wear spandex because, you know, it's coming back. And I'm going to, they want me to do stuff like show up and do bingo and um, shoot. I'm available. Let's put it that way. I brand. If Brandy were to call me up. And say we're doing, um, you know, a conga line. I would run down and do it because I'm. I think it's really important in this day and age to connect with people and more intimately, especially because I think the business is so wacky that I'm looking to literally meet the girl who says I have no idea who you are. She's probably twenty something, thirty something, and she has no idea. And the only reason she knows me is because of Brandy. That's the person I'm seeking out. So if she calls me and says, "Hey, come to the bar." Bring it. Okay. So where do you live right now? I don't want the address, but, you know, <laughs> uh, generally. You can go on YouTube and find it. Um, so I live on a farm. I bought land in 1990 for $1,500 an acre. And I live on a 500-acre farm that's next to my mom's farm. And we have a compound. Ashley lives on the land. I gave her a house. And she lives on the property and my mom's right next door, uh, her house. I talk about her still like she's here, which is interesting. Um, and then I live on the other side. It's sort of like a, a V. If you were to make a triangle, that's the strongest force in the universe. And we live in a triangle, and we have a lake that separates us. And how far is this from so-called civilization? Let's see here. I think the smallest town is about three, four miles away, and it's tiny. No stoplight. People walk, ride horses. And it's just, it's like genteel, it's just a really cool little town. It's like what Aspen probably was when it first started. And then uh, you go into town probably 10 miles into Franklin, and that's our big city. And for those who are not Tennessee uh, connoisseurs, Franklin is how far from Nashville? Let's see. I would say Franklin is about 45 minutes to an hour from uh, downtown Nashville. And then Music Row, I would say I could make it there in about 42 minutes. Sure not, it's 43, but uh, <laughs> okay. You talk about having a very strict mother. One would mm -hmm. think you wouldn't live on the same piece of property. Well, there's a fence. There's a really good fence. Um, you know, that's an interesting thing because the more I see the story um, from where I'm at right now, now that she's gone, as much as I did to get away from the strict um she was really all i had you know some people would say you know stockholm syndrome <laughs> you're gonna go crazy there for a minute and then some people would say well they just didn't know any better i think i think it was the way it was in my life she was so centerpiece in other words i worked for her um everything was about yes ma'am and no ma'am okay you're on the farm 
How social are you, whether seeing people in person, staying in contact with iMessage or however you might, or you're more of a homebody doing your own thing? I'm an, I'm an omnivert, which is both. Omnivert. Uh, it depends on the day. It depends on whether or not I have on makeup. I'm a loner. I walk in the wilderness. I have 11 dogs and close to 40 animals, and so I have my farm life. We grow a garden. We are home bodies, yet I'm very, very used to going into town and having a burger at the local diner there. And uh, people know me, first name, you know, how's it going? Uh, when, when does your tour start? Uh, would you like a hot dog or a hamburger? And here's a Coke. And it's just a small town. It's awesome because people don't really care. Because a lot of us live out there, just so you know, Bob, we live in a sort of a, an area where... Next to me is Carrie Underwood. Down the street is Reba. There's a bunch of people out there that have decided they want to live out on the land and not be, you know, downtown Nashville. And you say you have a farm. We talk about a garden. Uh, you know, are you a gentle person farmer? Do you have horses? Do you go out on your ATV or you just have enough land so you don't have <laughs> to be right up next to the hoi polloi? I'm in it to win it. I'm I'm in the mud. Um, the garden is my life. When it's planted, I completely cook. I put in a pro kitchen. I cooked for 40 over Thanksgiving. And um, yeah, you can come to my house and I'll cook for you. Uh, I'm known as uh, Y-Hop. Uh, I make a mean breakfast, uh, a brunch, if you will, be uh, at the table that seats 12. And we will sit there and we will talk about life. Um, on the farm, and then I'll turn around and put on my sparkles and my undergarments and go out, and I'm, you know, the queen of the night. Uh, it's an interesting life. I love the farm. I love to get dirty. I live two lives, in other words. Who are the 40 people who came for Thanksgiving? People that I really like. I decided to go with people that I really like this time. It was really, really fair and wonderful. These people were as close to normal as I've ever had in my life. Normal is just, in our family, a cycle on the washing machine. So I ordered, um, let's see, eight tenderloins, and I sous vide, and I cooked everything from scratch, including the cornbread for the dressing. And I invited my son and his wife. My son has been uh, with his girlfriend since they were 15 years old. Elijah is my salt of the earth, and um, he's been married now for a couple of years, and I invited his whole fam her whole family. So that was like 15 right there. <laughs> so I, I literally ordered um, enough food for the people that are the closest to me. Uh, we're hillbillies, I'll be honest with you. We don't do fancy. We do paper plates and um, we just hang out, you know, we do a bonfire and we sit around and some drink whiskey and some drink, you know, Kool-Aid and the kids come and the dogs bark and we're, we're dysfunctional. Okay. What, and it works. What'd you cook sous vide? The tenderloin. Okay. So why sous vide as opposed to another method? That's a really good question. I think I did it because I wanted to try something fancy. I wanted to be like, you know, the chef of the of the deal. And Thanksgiving uh, for me this year was really painful. Um, my mama has a cookbook, and I went and got some of the recipes from the cookbook. And my grandmother, my nana, she cooked for about 40 people on a riverboat every night. 
So we're known for our Southern cooking. And I just wanted it to be a little fancier, and I didn't want to do a turkey necessarily because we had it on an alternative day. I'm the alternative parent, just so you know. I'm the one that says, okay, Christmas is going to come on the 21st this year because everybody's got divorced parents. You know how it is. Families are um, split in a lot of ways, and Thanksgiving is stressful. So I did it on a day where people just wanted to come over and hang out, and it was beautiful because it was an alternative to the stress and the pressure of commercialization. So how did you learn how to cook sous vide, which is cooking in water for those who don't know? It's French. Yeah. It, I learned it from, I had a chef for 10 years and she taught me an awful lot about different things. And I just thought, you know, it's something that I want to do because you can put it in the bath, the hot bath, the water bath, and you can leave it for four hours and the tech and the tenderloin stays at the same temperature for all that time. And then you take it out. It's a reverse sear. And you take it out and you sear the crap out of it on your cast iron skillet. I don't do much without a cast iron skillet, by the way. And then you just are like, wow, this is exciting. I can taste it right now. I love good tenderloin. <laughs> you know, you've gone on in your history about your relationship with food and body image. Where are you at on that now? Well, I'll be 59 in May. Where am I with body image? That's a really good question. I don't know how to answer that. I will tell you, I work really hard at acceptance. There's so much I would change. And uh, without going into too much detail, I will tell you this. I don't weigh and I don't worry as much as I used to. I used to worry so much about it. I used to fret and just stay on myself. And I just don't do that anymore. I have a husband who loves me who's been in my life since I was 26. And um, I think I'm okay today. Ask me tomorrow. It may be different. Okay, and in terms of health and exercise, you just doing what feels good, or do you have a regimen or a trainer? Yes, it depends on the tour. Depends on I'm getting ready to go on tour and do three back to back shows a week, uh, twenty six songs a night. So I've got to you know increase my cardio. I kind of do it as I need to. Um, as you know, as you grow older, you lose muscle. So I'm having to work with a trainer on the weights part because I'm not really that savvy when it comes to working out in a gym. So I do have a trainer and I have somebody who helps me with that. And then I walk out on the farm. I do what's called meditative walking. You know, when you walk out in the wilderness, you uh, whether you cry or cuss or pray, it's a time to just be in the woods. And that's my favorite. That's actually my favorite because I don't realize that I'm exercising. I I walk because it just feels good, and I'm going somewhere where I love the farm. And is the ground relatively flat or hilly? It's both. It depends on where you go on the farm. Um, when you get to the lake, it goes up the hill, and uh, it's an amazing piece of land. I can honestly say that it's in the heart of a, one of the most beautiful pieces of land in Tennessee, and so many people want to live there. It's, again, like very much like Aspen. It started out, to, uh, it's a small town that turned into an incredible incredibly popular and everybody wants to be there. You know, the buses are coming with the, um, tourists. Um, the addresses of all. Yeah. The tourists are coming, the buses are coming and people are wanting to come out there and be a part of our society because it's just so different. The sun goes down. Then what do you do? Gosh, it depends. Um, I'm making supper tonight. I make supper pretty much every night. I cook for my husband. I have a thing about that. 
And I think being married to your manager, husband, drummer, band member, we're together all the time. And I try to pick things to do for him during the daytime that don't involve business. So we turn off our phones, we sit down, we have dinner. Uh, we've been watching you know, Yellowstone and all the shows uh, that are on Netflix. I don't watch a lot of TV unless it's something. And of course, I always say it, I tape it because <laughs> I come from cassettes. But uh, we record stuff and we watch it. Um, if it's nice outside, we go sit outside and we do a lot of fire. I'm a fire maniac. I love fire. Can't have enough fireplaces. I do wood fires as many times as I can per week. So it's uh, it's outside. We live outside as much as we can. And where does the wood come from? The farm. So you cut it yourself. Your enough. husband cuts it yourself. We have a farm manager that cuts it, and we do log on the farm. That's what kept me going during the pandemic was uh, logging, and we cut down uh, very few trees and. Because we've had tornadoes. We live where the tornadoes hit us. And so we had 3,000 trees that we took down out of the farm that were uh, blown down by the tornadoes. We're a hardy bunch, and we get it done. Okay. And when you're off, when you're not on the road, and forgetting, as you put it, the pandemic, do you travel for sport, whether it be in America, Europe, whatever, or if you're not working, you're home? Absolutely. Again, I'm a loner. I like to be by myself. Um, I love to be with the animals. We have miniature donkeys and pigs and chickens. I love to cook and be around people that I love. My son and his wife are still living with us until next week when they close on their house, their very first house. And I like to be at home. I've designed the house to where I don't have to leave if I don't want to. We have the studio there on the property. So Robert Weir came out to the farm and walked into the studio right there, right behind our house. I have a golf cart, and I go back and forth, and we live on the farm. We live and work on the farm. I had to come into town today because our Wi-Fi is out, so we still live in the country <laughs> where we have to deal with the realities. Okay, if you're a loner, how does that work in relationships? Hmm. That's a really great question. I have... A, what I call the dream team of people around me. And um, I'm not really very social. I don't go out to parties and I don't really go to events anymore. I used to back when I was in my 20s. And, you know, I, I think it's because I'm working on a record right now. I'll talk seasonally. We're working on a record right now. We're working on the tour. I'm working on uh, writing a book and doing a cookbook. And I'm always working on projects like you. You know, we're always working. We're always doing something. So I like to spend time doing that. And then when I'm not doing that, I like to get away with this, with doing as little as possible because my life is so, um, I just met with my doctor yesterday and she said, you know, let's talk about your adrenal glands. <laughs> I started laughing and I said, I don't know how I do it because I have so much energy. Um, I'm just always doing stuff, man. I'm always looking for something to do. Okay. So let's just say it's you and your husband in the house. Mm -hmm. Does he know to leave you alone at certain times? You're in your own head. You're doing your own thing. He's a cowboy. He's a maverick. He's my king. He's always doing something. And I have to actually either text him down at the studio and say, supper's ready. Or I have to walk where he is and say, hey, let's go take a walk or do something. And he, tomorrow night is date night. So we have date night. And he's really good about um, 
He's very maternal, yet he is a cowboy. And so he's uh, always, he's either riding horses, working on a song, smoking a cigar, and drinking his whiskey or shooting his gun. So he's a pretty uh, busy guy. And so we get together usually after 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. We sort of have a date every night for supper. And he tragically lost his leg uh, in a motorcycle accident. But you showed me a picture before we started of him skiing. Mm. So how have he and you coped with uh, the loss of his leg? Well, if you know Cactus Mosier, um, it's really hard to tell that he doesn't have a leg. He is the most, honestly, I heard him complain one time when he lost the leg uh, back three months after we got married. And he said, honey, I'm different. And I said, I know that. And I took care of him. And th- we have a documentary called The Road Back. And we talk about the entire experience, which was tragic because he's a drummer. And he's one of the great drummers um, in our industry. How do we deal with it? He he deals with it like it didn't happen almost. It's like it's it's the it's the craziest, most wonderful thing because he just doesn't talk about it. And the only time I notice it is when he comes rolling in the kitchen uh, for breakfast without his leg. Otherwise, he puts on that leg and it's like, let's go, let's kick some ass. And he just doesn't let it get him down. He just doesn't. And, you know, he'll cuss if it gets, you know, if it moves the wrong way or something every now and then. But I've never known anybody as positive and as joy-filled as Cactus Mosier. He's um, the love of my life. I've, I've loved him since I was 26 years old when I met him on tour with Highway 101, opening for the Judds. And where does this leave you on motorcycles? I have it sitting in my driveway. Uh, I mean, in my driveway, in the... Um, the garage. I haven't sold it yet. I haven't ridden since the accident, and I probably never will. We're sticking to horses. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge, My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global... 
You can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, so you met Cactus when you were 26, but you were married before, you had relationships before. What'd you learn about relationships? And I'm not really good at them. Um, I'm such a an emotional empath kind of girl that I didn't have any boundaries and I didn't have any way of um, saying no. And I'm such a chronic people pleaser that I had a really rough time. That's why I didn't date very much. I think I had one boyfriend at 18 and then I got really, really famous, which it's kind of hard to get a date when your mom's standing right there. And uh, I just didn't date very often. And uh, when I did, it was usually I just took a date to the award show of somebody that I knew, like Dwight Yoakam. You know, I was always hanging out with the guys. And yet I was um, so very, very shy, very painfully shy. And what happened to me, I wrote about it in my book. I just didn't trust men and I didn't hang out with them romantically. I hung out with them as my brothers on the road. The crew is always my my brothers, those were the people that I grew up with the most. Those are my memories of having the crew, being with the crew, and they're my family. So um, I didn't have a boyfriend at the time I met Cactus. And when I did meet him, I was so in love, and my mom knew it, and she and I fought a lot because she was like, no, hell no, you're not going to date a musician. And, of course, I would say, he's not a musician, he's a drummer. And then we would fight until dawn. Okay, you met him at 26. You didn't marry him for a number of years. So you fought with your mother. Then what happened? <laughs> then then I met um, a guy and I had two children and uh, got married the second time because I got pregnant without being married. And back then it was like, oh, oh that doesn't work. And so I got married and um, then I got divorced and spent three years walking in the wilderness by myself, raising two kids, and then uh, met my then-husband, um, who was my bodyguard at the time. And then, uh, yeah, that went to hell. So here I am. Was it a matter of meeting Cactus? He was the one. Your mother wouldn't let you be with him, and you had to go on this circuitous route to get back to him? Yes. Well, my mom got sick, just so you know. We were on tour together for a year, and um, he kissed me, and that was it. I, w- I would have married him you know, then, but mom got really sick and she went to the Mayo Clinic and I went with her and Cactus called me up and said, I'll go with you. And I said, no, I need to take care of my mom. And so her illness sort of became, you know, front and center. And then we went on tour and everything got really chaotic and crazy, crazy, crazy. So he went on to LA, became one of the great session players out there and met his wife and got married and they had, uh, Three kids, and so I have two, and so together we have five. So how'd you reconnect? Well, as life would have it, um, I walked into a bar, uh, sort of one of those speakeasies here in our little town of Franklin, and uh, he was playing drums, and I saw him, and it was like, oh my God. And it was 30 years after you know we went on tour together, 
And uh, my mom was right there with me. And I told her, I said, don't you even snatch <laughs> my fingers. And uh, we uh, reconnected. He said, um, call me. And I called his cell and he had uh, separated from his wife and I had separated from my husband. And uh, we went on a date and that was it. Like, thank you very much. Wow. And then, you know, it's very difficult to raise kids when you're a famous working person. Mm -hmm. uh, and how was that for you? You know, I, I have to say that this is interesting you're asking me this because I haven't talked about this a lot. I wanted to be a mom ever since I was a teenager. And I knew, I even said, I will have a baby at 30, and I did. Elijah Judd saved my life, and I wrote a book called, um, titled Coming Home to Myself, because when I got pregnant and I was a you know, super-duper working girl out there on the road and headlining and the pressures of being, yeah, in the public eye and touring and all the stuff that comes with it, when I got pregnant, it took everything and put it aside because being pregnant was all I cared about. I traveled with a Doppler. I listened to the heartbeat every day, and I was in love. And I, I think it's the first time in my life, Bob, that I just felt like I was with myself and I was not just a working person that I really, you know, had something to look forward to that was my own, that I didn't have to, you know, necessarily put out like product and get, you know, judged for it, if you will. Having a baby is such an intimate process that I became infatuated with the whole process and I took a year off. I went and paid everybody for the year. I had a hundred day tour and um, I paid everybody and went home for a year and just had a baby and sat home and made homemade baby food and sat by the fire and just had a baby. And it was one of the most glorious experiences of my life. So you talked about Elijah has this uh, storybook relationship with a girl that he met at a young age. To what degree is he independent now? To what degree is he on the <laughs> payroll? Oh, he's not on the payroll. As a matter of fact, he won't let me pay for stuff. Uh, he's very, very uh, independent. As a matter of fact, um, we argue sometimes about, you know what, let me do it because he's a canine officer. Uh, he's a first responder. So he has three jobs. He met his girlfriend at a football game when they were 15. They're now married. They just bought their first house. They close next week. And um, I offered to help him with something. And he said, nope, mom, I'm going to do it myself. And he'll come out on the road with me and I'll have him work a few dates as security and I'll pay him through Winona Incorporated, but he will not let me pay for stuff. And he's adamant about it. Wow. That's a rare I know. That's a rare story. I know. It's very rare, and I know it, and yet I continue to try to push and give and give and give, and he's just like, Mom, you know what? Last year, Bob, I gave him some land on the farm, and that to him is everything, and that's enough, and he won't let me do more. So that's sort of like the creme de la creme. That's pretty amazing. Um, let's talk about your mother. You know, not only did your mother die, she took her own life. My best friend did the same thing. It's a very strange experience of mental health issues once again, but it's a very public thing for you, and she's your mother. Mm -hmm. My mother died two years ago. 
like that old Rolling Stones song, and my mother certainly was not famous, mm. I have mixed emotions. Mm. And there's a famous book out right now. Someone wrote about that they're glad their mother died. So, you know, what's it like coping with all this? Well, I just wrote a line in a song with my husband that said, I'm somewhere between hell and hallelujah. Great line. Yeah, I, I, I thought of it just because of my experience. Um, the pain has stopped. Hallelujah. The pain has stopped. The hell is going over to her house and seeing all her stuff, and she's gone. And that's just not something you can talk about without crying. Or I have three people that I call um, that I literally did work this morning on why is it that I'm still so angry? Why can't I seem to get past the anger piece? And it's because grieving is a crazy mother trucker. There's no way you can say, well, in five months I'll do this and tomorrow I'll do that. Um, my mother struggled and I knew it. And I always kept, I felt like I was keeping a secret. So I'm grateful that the secret is no longer because secrets keep you sick. And we all know about that one who we've had experiences with. And my mother took her own life is uh, devastating because that's not how the story is supposed to end. And so I'm really, really frustrated with the whole thing of having to talk about it in interviews and explain it to people where I'm at because I know people are curious and I understand that. And as we all know online, lots of buttholes and opinions. And um, I just try to live as honestly as I can. I struggle a lot at night, that's when the noise is really, really, really loud. And so I walk the halls and I pray and sometimes I cry and sometimes I write. And um, I have a granddaughter who gives me an incredible amount of hope. You know, both of my parents are dead at this point, which is kind of weird to say. Mm. But as I say, it's very sad when they pass, but there's also a certain freedom involved. Hmm. I remember when my father died, he died at a relatively young age by today's standards at 70 of cancer. And my mother had a car accident. If you had a dent in the car with my father, he would go berserk. Hmm. And she realized, well, she could just take the car and get it fixed. It wasn't like the biggest crisis. And my mother was both my inspiration and my nemesis. So has there been any relief amongst the tragedy? word i wouldn't say relief i think i feel a sense of a new season starting of independence so i don't know if the word relief fits me i know that i feel um i'll give you an example of a story because i love telling stories because i think that's how people learn the best um i was on stage i was at soundcheck and they were playing the video behind me of mom and um I don't know, it just it caught me really out of nowhere. It just caught me. And I turned right around and looked at the, at the um, screen, and I said, um, I've lost 10 pounds, Mom. And everybody started laughing, and I just kind of caught myself like, I'm still doing it, you know? I still feel the, the tug of war sometimes with her, the love and the not so much. <laughs> 
and I still feel it. I still feel so mad at her because I want her to come back so I can argue with her. And, and the last fight we ever had, I told her that if she didn't stop talking, that I was going to pull her wig off and hit her with it. And she looked at me like, you are crazy. <laughs> and uh, I started laughing because I have to, you know, it's just sometimes too intense. But I don't know if the word is relief. I think I just feel a little bit more independent because you're right. We, we're, we're orphans. We don't have our parents here anymore. We're not defined or we're not waiting for approval or a comment. It's just us. So there is that independence. It's you and me, God. And that's kind of where I'm at. And what about your father? I never knew my father. As a matter of fact, I found out about him in a tabloid. Um, and by the time I got it together to go meet him, he died very tragically and suddenly. And um, I never got to know him. And I just met my brother two years ago. So that's been a whole chapter of wow. That's all I can say about it. It's just wow. It's like, oh my God. Okay, okay. All <laughs> these years since finding out in a tablet, a tabloid, why did you just meet him and was there an instant connection? How did you ultimately meet? No, I what didn't. I didn't meet him. That's what I'm saying. Two weeks. I had planned to go meet him, and two weeks before the date that I had chosen, he died. So I never did. I, I meant your. I meant your uh, brother. Oh, you mean my brother? Um, he drove down to the farm. He walked in the door, and it's as if. And I'm not exaggerating because I'm not that way. Uh, God forbid. Um, he and I picked up right where we. We're supposed to, I guess. It was like, oh my God, we're so alike. He's just like Elijah, and Elijah's just like him, and we're just so connected. It's crazy. It's crazy good, and it's the most delightful piece of information I have to give personally is that I finally, finally now know more about who I am because I never knew my father, and there's a question mark there for anybody who doesn't know their parent. So... Your mother was a babe, living a babe <laughs> life, seemingly always. What was that like as a little kid with her being your mother? Horrible. Men would follow her home. She was quite the babe. You're right. If you look at pictures, it's like, to me, she's as gorgeous as uh, any, any Hollywood actress I've ever seen. And uh, it was a problem. It was a real problem. And some of my trauma comes from all of the experiences that I witnessed of uh, her living in Hollyweird, um, her being such a gypsy spirit and having so many different boyfriends. And yeah, she was quite the, quite the babe. You're right. So you're growing up. She's your mother. Mm -hmm. To what degree is she hands-on or to what degree you're a free-range child? Boy, that's a... Well, I walked to school by myself. I was a latchkey kid, so it was very lonely. And we always lived, for the most part, besides Hollyweird, we uh, lived in the country. So I was always by myself. And that's why I became so infatuated and enamored by animals, because um, they were my neighbors and my friends. And I wasn't popular in school. I was the moody musician, dreamer, you know, that just didn't fit in anywhere. But people liked me because I was polite. And I was a good kid. I didn't get into trouble. And I was always um, wanting love and affection. And um, my mom was always working. So I kind of raised Ashley. We kind of raised each other, really. 
And uh, we still talk about that because mom was always gone working. And what do you say when you talk about that? How painful it was. Um, I did not have a hands-on parent. And I parented myself as well as Ashley. And sh- and we grew up together. We were four years apart. So I was the 10-year-old making dinner. And um, I was driving on the road at 12, 13. I was driving on the road at 13. And my mom let me because I guess she was always, you know, working as a nurse. And I, I did all the chores. And so I was the kid who was uh, responsible for just about everything. I never remember doing a spring break. I never remember going anywhere and having fun with friends. Not really. So it was a weird, it was a weird life, I have to say. And where did music come in? Oh, thank you, Lord. It came in around eight years of age. I discovered the piano, and I discovered my voice before that, but I discovered an instrument with my voice, and I just thought that was the greatest thing in my life. And um, it was third grade, and Joni Mitchell was it, because there was a woman in my life, a young woman, who just worshipped Joni Mitchell and played me every song Joni ever recorded, and I learned every nuance of every song. And still to this day, I can do the best harmony in the world besides Brandy. Um, And I learned Joni Mitchell songs. And I became Joni Mitchell's absolute, you know, backup singer. I could have gone on the road with her at any given time. And it saved my life, honestly. If it hadn't been for Joni, I probably would have tried suicide before I did at 18. But the music kept me alive, literally. Okay, you dropped that. I got to go there attempting suicide at 18. Mm -hmm. I sure did. I got kicked out of the house, and I went to live with Ashley's biological father, and he was going to send me to college. And I was going to get a job, and he cut off all my hair, and I was no longer who I was supposed to be in my book. So why stick around? Because I was no longer going to do music and be able to be, you know, Winona, which I had big plans, by the way, big plans. And uh, I was going to go to college, and I just, I couldn't take it. I was just, cu- it was like somebody cut my wings off. And uh, I attempted suicide at 18, and then, what, six months later, I got a record deal. Okay, let's go back. So the interest in music was yours independently, not your mother's. Mm-hmm. It seems... Your mother was a driven woman, and if you look from outside, she needed more. She needed to make it. Was it music, or it just needed to be something? Yes. I think she really was born to be. My grandmother said to me when I was little, your mother should have been a soap opera star. Now, I don't know what that tells anybody else, but to me, that tells me everything. And my mother has always been the, the parade waver. I mean, she's, she's the Barbie doll. She's all the cliches. You know, she was always up for a good time. And I was so shy and so backwards that uh, I felt like Nell in the movie. Um, I felt like this little hillbilly girl that I literally wore overalls and hiking boots to to school, Bob. I mean, it's it's weird. It's like, who are we? We live in Appalachia. We go to a third world country, pretty much, and we live on this little acre of land. 
and I'm by myself, and I discover Joni Mitchell, and all of a sudden I'm learning all the open tunings, and I'm playing all the songs, and I'm ready to just evolve into the greatest um, poet, singer, you know, I was ready, and my mom saw it, and I think my mom saw that I was so immersed in music and such a dreamer that I think she just naturally was like, okay, this is it. And she started harmonizing with me, and I didn't like it at first at all. And for a summer, we learned a couple of songs together, and the next thing I know, we're singing to people, and here we are. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 let's, whoa. Let, let's start. Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> you talk about open tunings. How did you learn to play the I guitar? I don't know. I don't know. To this day, I have one person in my life who was teaching me E, A, and D. And the next thing I know, I'm just doing it note by note. And I'm figuring it out. And nobody really taught me. I self-taught. And uh, to this day, I think about it. Sonia Bird Yancey was uh, a woman in my life who played guitar. And I would sit and listen to her play. And just try to figure it out. And I spent my life learning every Joni song. Where did the guitar come from? Someone gave it to my mom when we moved from California back to Kentucky. Someone gave her a guitar. And uh, it's one of those stories that it was not a good guitar. And I learned to play on it. And it was my very first guitar, which, uh, yeah, I think about that. If someone hadn't given my mom that guitar, I don't know where I'd be today. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, so you're, you know, you're independent, you're playing the guitar, your mother starts to harmonize. Then how does it turn into a gig? 
That's a really good question. We just started playing for all the things we could play for, like, um, what is it when you like get some kind of an award for civil, you know, like those those places where people gather together and you win the award for the community? Well, like the Rotary Club. Exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. We started doing stuff like that. And next thing I know, we're doing this little show here in Nashville, Tennessee, the Ralph Emery Show. Comes on at like three, four o'clock in the morning, and they have the farm report, and they do commercials, and there's an, a guy on there that sings with a band, and somehow mom and I showed up there and sang on that show so that I could sing and then go to school. Pretty wild, actually. Uh, okay. What, how is it presented to you? Let's go back to Kentucky. You know, you're really good at this. I'm going to try to make it something more. Or you come home from school one day and your mother says, oh, we're playing at the Rotary Club. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it was. I, I can tell you right now, I had no ambition. I was not the one to say, hey, I'm going to go down and join a band and I'm going to start doing gigs. That was not how it happened. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. I was, if anything, I was too shy to do it. And it was mom who said, we are going to do this. And that's the way it is, man. It's like she had all the ambition and I had all the, you know, the talent in terms of guitar and vocal and she was the harmony singer. And together it was this magical little weird thing like, are they mother and daughter or sisters? You know, and just everywhere we went, we got more and more attention. And next thing I know, we're here in Nashville, Tennessee. Are you kidding me? So she was determined, Bob. She was on her, she was on a mission to make it. Okay. Needless to say, you became uber successful. Do you think she was ever fulfilled or she was still looking for more? I think she was so fulfilled being the queen of the parade. I think she was more fulfilled than she could ever be. I mean, come on, we did the Super Bowl, for God's sake. You know, we got to go to the White House. We uh, we have a street named after us in Ashland, Kentucky, Uh and we were the parade wavers of all time. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's it's such a weird story still to me today. And when I tell it, I'm just like, how in the world did these two Kentucky girls manage to make it in country music? I still, I can't quite wrap my head around it because I was so backwards in so many ways. And yet I would go out on stage. If you look at the videos, I seem so sure of myself. And I just can't even believe it when I look at it. I'm like, that's me? And then there's my mom who's, you know, shimmying and swaying and she's doing the harmony and she's the beautiful mother who looks young enough to be my sister. I mean, come on. I don't think it gets any better than that. So how hard for her was it when she became ill and couldn't do it? I think that's where the end began. I really do. I think it I think the depression was so debilitating. I think it was uh I think it's where it started. I think the the end was uh, when she had to give up the road because I took her home on the bus. I helped her get all her stuff off the bus, and uh, she stood on the porch waving to me as I pulled the bus out of the driveway. And I remember thinking, this is it. You know, it's like s uh, separating Siamese twins. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know any other way to say it. She fell into a deep depression, and from there, you know, it started. And she's written a lot of books and done a lot of speaking engagements around it, but I think it I think it cut off her life supply. Her lifeline was absolutely, you know, 
that was it. Well, let's go back before she had to retire. My friend who uh, ended his life, took his own life, Mm -hmm. in retrospect, he was bipolar. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really hits every note on the scale. Mm. Prior to retiring, I hate to use this word, but I will anyway, would you call your mother normal or were there evidence of other uh, mental health issues in retrospect? Wow, that's quite a packed question. I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you what I know, which is my mother was incredibly charismatic, incredibly determined, one of the most determined. She was as determined to die as she was determined to live. That's my mother. That's one of the quotes that I have used a couple of times when I'm not sure quite what to say. Uh, My mother was incredibly um, willful, and you did not argue with her. I was not allowed to really have a voice. Ironically, I'm the lead singer, but I did not have a voice. I still think about having to share a bus with her, and I look back on that and I go, God, if I had known then what I know now, I would have gotten my own bus. What the heck? You know, why did I have to share a hotel room with her? Why did I have to share a dressing room with her? I'm the lead singer. Why couldn't I have my own stuff? And there's part of me that thinks it was God's way of saying, you're going to be accountable to something bigger than yourself. Well, it was her. And I think she took full advantage of it many times. Um, We would be in Vegas and we would be sold out. And she would come down to my room and tell me, you know, if you're late tonight, I'm going to tell everybody, you know, in front of you and embarrass me. She was tough. And um, I think she was incredibly driven to the point of it separated us an awful lot. Emotionally, it separated us an awful lot. I think that's pretty clear. But in retrospect, would you say that was just her personality? Yes. Or was she really crazy on some level? I don't know the word crazy. I know, well, I do know the word crazy. That's not true. I don't know crazy like some people have their identity, their, you know, understanding of what crazy is. I think my mother was so colorful. This is the only way I know to describe it because I don't know enough about the mental health part. I just know that she was colorful. Uh, She taught my children. One of the first things she's proud of doing as a grandmother was teaching my kids how to poop in the woods. Okay? That's crazy. That's not normal. That's crazy. But you, you live on a farm and it seems really practical, doesn't it? So you tell me, is it practical or is it crazy? Well, I guess, you know, I'll leave it at this. <laughs> um, was, you know, was this, you know, was her tragic death preordained because of uh, certain organic elements or was it based on events like leaving the road? But let's forget all that. So, your mother is driven. She's booking you these gigs. Are you all in from the beginning? Nope. Or do you ever at times say, hey, well, so nope. tell me how you felt? Nope. The very first thing I ever said to her before we went out in front of 10,000 people was the first time I was ever on stage. I looked at her and I said, I want to go home. And she looked at me. She was a snapper. That sound right there will send me into an absolute tantrum. Um I can feel it. (laughs) It's just one of those things. My mother was a snapper, and she would snap at me and say, do it, girl. 
you know, and I looked at her and I was like, uh, next thing I know, we're in front of 10,000 people and we have a hit song and we're running awards and the rest is history. I was so mortified at being with my mother on so many levels. It just didn't make sense to me. Why would somebody do this to me? Why would somebody put me on a bus at 18 years of age? Why would they do that to me? And by the way, and I talk about this a lot, but I can't get over it. I did her hair for God's sake. <laughs> I did her hair. Like I literally was responsible for zipping up the back of her dress and doing her hair. And that's just those, you know, people say you didn't really pay your dues by playing clubs. I'm like, okay, you share a bus with your mother for 10 years and we'll talk. Because it was the strictest, most unbelievable thing that I did in my life. And I don't know what else to say other than why. Why would somebody do that? Because we were so freaking famous. She did all the talking, by the way. They had to send me to media school, Bob. They had to sit me down and say, okay, so when your mom tells that story and you're really not happy with her and you roll your eyes, you look like a little brat. And they had to walk me through how to do interviews because I was so not interested in all the fame stuff. She loved every minute of it. Okay, breaking a few things down. <laughs> do you think she was so strict because she didn't want her success fucked up or because she didn't want you to follow in her footsteps? What was driving this strictness? Mm. I am known it, that there's three of us, Ashley, mom, and me. And if you put us in a room, the two of them are so alike in so many ways. I was always the oddball, odd man out, whatever you want to call it. And I'm so free in spirit, I drove my mother insane. I think that I was single-handedly one of the most challenging parts of her success because I was so, you know, I think I'll go and get a Harley. No, you won't. And she wouldn't talk to me for two weeks after I got the um, tattoo. And I was on my own. I was like selling records and stuff. And she wouldn't speak to me. So I had to get one of them erased because it had mom on it. And it was traumatic. So my mom was pretty darn instrumental in making sure that everything was a certain way. And I would just come into the fold and sing and get the heck out of Dodge. So it wasn't like, oh, everything is great. We didn't fight a lot, but it was just very like business because she ran it. It should have been Naomi Judd and her daughter Winona because it was definitely she ran things. Her and the manager ran things. I was just the chick singer. And I would get a memo. Remember back when we faxed? Right. I would, I would get a memo and it would say, Monday, you're doing this. Tuesday, you're doing this. And I didn't have a say-so. We would go down to RCA and do two days worth of interviews because everybody wanted to talk to us. I didn't have a say-so about all that. Zero. Was she as strict with Ashley? No. Because Ashley behaved well or she just wasn't? Ashley got the good end of the deal an awful lot. Ashley didn't get what I got because I was the oldest uh, I think my mom really was nervous that I would get pregnant and meet a boy and go get married, and then it would be ruined. You know, I still to this day, um, Ashley was the one that finally told me about my real father. Mom never did, and I was always really angry about that because it was almost like maybe she thought maybe I would go running off into the wild blue yonder and not get on the bus and go do shows. I was just really convinced that she had to keep everything going. Um and I think she felt responsible for me, keeping me in line. 
because I had so much talent that I was so free-willed that it terrified her, literally. Like I, I would go, hey, mom, I think I'm going to go build a house. And she'd go, what? No. And then I, I ended up getting a condo near her because, <laughs> you know, I just can't be near her enough. <laughs> ah, bless my heart. So you two go on the road. What happens to Ashley? She gets left behind. So how does she go from being left behind to becoming a movie star? Good question. She went out to Hollywood, and um, the only job I ever remember her having out there was she worked as a hostess at the Ivy on Robertson. And uh, next thing, she's in a, an independent movie called Ruby in Paradise, and the rest is history. A great movie, and she's great in it. Yeah, she's awesome. She's awesome. It's one of my favorite movies she's ever done. And uh, I remember literally walking three feet behind her because she was quite the star. And I thought, well, she's arrived. Here we go. So did she have that same driven element in her that your mother had? Yes. Yes, very much so. Do you think she just learned it from your mother or she was left behind so much that she wanted to do, hey, I got to find my own way, do my own thing? I believe with everything in me that it's nature and nurture. I think there's a nature there. And I think because she was nurtured to be so independent and make it on her own, that she literally packed up an, uh, a U-Haul trailer to her car in Tennessee and drove out to L.A. by herself. That's Ashley. Okay, going back to the beginning of the story, before you were on stage with 10,000 people, blocking before you hit the stage, along the way, were you always in or some? were you saying, I don't want to show up or I want to have a normal life or were you saying, wow, this is great? Wow, this is great. I would do anything to be in a band. I have a band now, Winona and the Big Noise, and everything is about the big noise. I don't want to be by myself. I love, 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 love team. I do better with team. I don't want to be a solo artist anymore. And uh, so I absolutely would do anything to jam with my guys. That was when my magical time began when I hit the stage. Not because of performance, but because of art. Did I love every single minute. Robert Weir and I have talked about this an awful lot because for me, it's about the musical experience of running. What is it when they go to the edge of the stage and you jump off? That's me. Stage diving. Yes. I just, I mean, not literally, but I would go to the edge of the stage and want to just free fall into the fans because I love music that much that I would, I mean, I've, I've flown to Australia just to do one show because that's how determined I am to have the live musical experience with the fans. Um, so yeah, walk into the stage, you got, let me at it. I'll do anything and I'll wait, you know, 20 hours if I have to. I was very patient. Because I, all I ever wanted to do was be in a band. That's it. That's what drove me. Okay, you talk about Robert Weir, who is Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. How do you meet Bob Weir? <laughs> that is a really good question. Um, more importantly, um, when I met him, I did not know a lot about Robert Weir. And I called him Robert because I could not bring myself to call him Bobby. I just thought that's like calling your teacher by her first name. And uh, I fell in love with this character. He's like the Civil War general 
You know, he's just (laughs) such a character. And when I met him, I thought, well, I have nothing in common with this person. And next thing I know, we're sitting in the studio. He came to the farm. He drove to the farm, got out of the car, walked into the studio, and we did Ramble on Rose. And we have been so connected ever since. He came and performed at my mother's memorial. That's pretty crazy, right? And so he's been there for me, both personally and professionally. We played, of course, we've played the Fillmore and there's all the good stuff, you know, and the fans love it and Deadhead, Judhead, we're mingling, everybody's getting along. But it's just one of those wacky stories where you go, how in the world did I end up being friends with him and his wife? Well, what's what's the connection? How'd you meet him? That's, you know what? The connection is the music. I was invited to do stuff. And it's like, uh, he did one of my songs, and I did one of his songs kind of thing at the Fillmore. That was actually after we, my husband, thank you, my husband, Cactus Mosier, said, I want you to learn some Grateful Dead songs. And I said, why? Why would I do that? I don't understand the the history of all the you know stuff that you know. And um, I ended up calling him. I think I got his number from Dwight Yoakam or somebody. I'm trying to remember the details. And I just called him. And next thing I know, he's at the farm. I think it was just us connecting on the level of, hey, it's nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you too. But I called him on the phone and I said, I really want you to come and be on my record. Okay, going back to the origin of the story, um, you make a deal with Curb Records. Mike Curb, uh, a Republican who made it in the music business, then was lieutenant governor of California, Ultimately had a lot of success in Nashville. Um, his company and relationship has been fraught with the negative history. People sign a deal and they can't get out of it. And what was your experience? Well, I know more now than I did, and I didn't know all that crap. And nobody ever really sat me down and said, hey, by the way, this is this or this is that, and what do you want to do about it? And it wasn't until I had a few experiences with managers who said, this is nuts, we got to do this, we got to make this move. I really didn't understand, and I was so trusting. I'm one of those stories, honestly, that you go, oh, bless her heart. (sighs) She just doesn't know any better. Because I was too busy working, too busy doing, and too busy recording and traveling and doing tours. And it wasn't until probably the last, I would say five to seven years, do I really know what the heck's going on. And that's not something I'm proud of. It's just sort of the way it worked out for me because I'm so trusting and I tend to not micromanage. And I think it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. But uh, I still get a Christmas present from him every year and I haven't seen him in years. And how about the money? question i'll let you know so you're still working on the money yep it's one of those things where hmm, maybe when i'm 60 well that's not that far away (laughs) (laughs) one can dream (laughs) witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other 
as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, you uh, did not write the songs you sang, which in many cases are the generator of profits, so how are you doing financially? I'm land rich and cash poor. I owe some of the greatest land in the history of mankind. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of people take out loans to do business. That's kind of the way it works in America, right? right. And so um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm settled. I have what I need. i tell you what's really exciting about me and my husband is during the pandemic, we were able to keep payroll because of logging. So thank you for that opportunity because it kept everybody afloat. And I'm grateful for that because it was a devastating blow to the music industry. And uh, a lot of my guys in the band, you know, went on un unemployment. So I'm really grateful that the land provided. And that's why we have land. Um, it's been a blessing did you get any uh, loans from the government? Let me think here. I did. I did. Okay. You bought the land for $1,500 an acre in what year? How much land? And what did your mother say about that? Oh, she thought it was awesome. That was one of the things we agreed on because I was right next to her. Together, we had 1,000 acres, so it was like a compound. Um I bought it in 1990 for 1500 an acre. It goes for eighty to 100000 an acre now. So that was a really good investment. Oh, yeah. My father would be proud of you. Yes. Um, that, that's <laughs> my great, my great, great grandfather would be too. That was what it was all about. Ogden Judd was all about buying land. My I come from a family of farmers, so they would all be very proud, like the song Guardian Angels. Um, they're so proud of me, Fanny and Elijah. 
And uh, all my ancestors are looking down going, you know what? You go, girl. So the logging kept you alive. Go in more detail. You hire a company that cuts up the trees. How, how do you generate the money? We hired two guys, best friends. One's a preacher. One is a good old boy who wears overalls and no T-shirt, even if it's winter. <laughs> it's kind of awesome, actually. And they come, and it's just the two of them because I don't want them to mess up the land. And they did it old-fashioned, and uh, I mean, compared to what's done today. And uh, we only did trees that were down. And uh, we had, when you have 500 acres, you know how it works. And uh, they just went where the trees were down, and it worked. And I'm so grateful to them. As a matter of fact, it uh, saved us, actually. So how many people are on the payroll? <sighs> personally or professionally? I don't professionally. Know. Well, well, personally, too. Well, the last, the last tour we did, it was what? How many people on the road last tour? I don't know, 80, 90, something like that. And then I'd say personally, five. Okay, when you say the logging kept your... Uh, who were the people you were paying? What do you mean, people I was paying? No, no, no. You said the gener the the money from the logging allowed you to pay your people. How yes, many it people did. was that? Oh, I think I would say about five people, five to seven. Okay. So going back to the story, you go out on stage, you have ten thousand people. Mm-hmm. And once you're pushed, I assumed you actually loved performing because you say you love performing now. And what was it like suddenly becoming the biggest star in country music? What was it like? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I think I looked like a deer in the headlights an awful lot because I was still so, so young. And uh, mom did all the talking. So I would sit there and kind of look around like, when are we going to be done so I can go hang out with my friends? <laughs> so, but I also loved, loved, loved the, um, the love from the fans. I still have fans that were there the very first concert in 1984, March um, concert that we did. And they're still there and they're, they're still around. And it's like they remember me and I remember them and we grew up together. So I love the one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not really good at the fame stuff unless it's a good seat in a restaurant. I don't really thrive on that, actually. And um, I mean, if you kind of look at me, I don't, I don't do the whole makeup and hair thing all the time. I'm not a TikTok sensation yet. I don't really care about all that. I care about the human experience. I care about the music. I care about going out on stage and making a connection with somebody who has no idea what they've gotten themselves into. And uh, that is what grooves me more than anything in this world. Well, you're a very recognizable person. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's one thing if you're sitting at home, I would think almost anywhere you go, people immediately know who you are. Yes, they do. I've become a little bit more and more like Dolly in terms of the hair and the, you know, the, the ta-da. <laughs> I call it the ta-da. Um, Brandy Carlisle said, I'm a queer icon. And I said, can you explain to me what that means? She said, it's really, really good. And I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. Awesome. Uh, I love people. I love, love, love people. A person walks up to me and says, I'm an atheist. And I said, okay. I mean, that's the way I am. I just, I'm, 
I'm a judge, not a judge. I mean, that's my absolute go-to when people come up to me and say, well, you need to lose weight. And I go, yeah, and you need to get a haircut. And uh, I, I just, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm real because I grew up in such a weird world. You know, being 18 and being on the cover of all the magazines and doing Johnny Carson, I'm dating myself, and opening for all the greats of country music. Merle Haggard, George Jones. I mean, I've worked with a highwayman. I knew Johnny Cash. He was a mentor. When you grow up with all these people in your life and Tammy Wynette takes you on her bus to cook breakfast for you, that's just not normal. Oh, that's for sure. You know? And so I grew up with all these characters around me in my movie. And I went over to George Jones's house at Christmas time and played his kids played, his grandkids played with my kids. And Ah, it's just so crazy, but yet it was my life, and I'm still living it, and it's so bizarre at times, but I can't get away from the music part of it. I just can't. As brokenhearted as my heart is an awful lot, I can't stop myself from being on stage, having that moment with the fan when they sing into the microphone the words to my song. There's just something about that that just heals me every single day. Because I almost gave up on doing the tour. You know, when mom died, I said, okay, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do this. I really don't physically know if I can do this. And the people spoke and they said, yes, you can. And I showed up. How much live is the music and how much is the adoration and love from the fans? I do not sing and I will not sing. The only time I've ever lip synced is at the Super Bowl. I'm adamant about that. Um, there are no tracks. Uh, there's one loop that Cactus hits for a loop on a rhythm thing, but everything is live. I'm adamant about that. If there's one thing that I will say that I'm going to be like you, I'm sure you have your opinion about things. <laughs> I can imagine um, it will be live and it will be imperfect or it won't be real. And I just have to have that or else the rest of it is BS. So everything is live to the point where I can do a song on a dime. You watch me. Okay, so you're you're alive, but how much of the satisfaction is oh. the love from the audience? It's so live. What, what do you mean? Can you explain a little bit better? Uh, what I'm trying to, uh, I'll give you a different example. Okay. A friend of mine used to book Oprah. Oprah played arenas for a while. And the obvious question here is, why does Oprah need to play arenas? She's got all the money in the world. Oh, I see. Whereas Dave, as David Letterman said, you know, she literally has all the money. But he said, where else is she going to get that mm -hmm. hit? Yes. Yes. The adrenaline is part of my, my fix every single night when I go and I get off the bus and I'm walking to the stage and I hear the roar of the crowd. My energy gets up and I get the adrenaline and it's like the quarterback at the Super Bowl. I get very, very activated. And that is better than any drug in life. And that's probably why so many people do drugs, because it is the greatest, it is the greatest thing on this life, in this life, on this planet, to stand there and watch 14,000 people with their phones and their lights on. We don't do the big lighter anymore. Sing Love is Alive back to me. It is the greatest thing i feel suspended i'm writing a song with brandy carlisle right now called from here to heaven and that's where i am 
I'm literally suspended off the ground and I can feel myself levitate. It is the greatest drip of love, life, and support and healing that there is in this life. Wow. Did you do drugs and drink or what was your experience with substances? No, my mom did. She was the partier. I was the stay in the room and wonder if she's coming back. Um, I, she's talked about it when she got to be 70-something. She just let it go and said, yeah, I smoked weed on the day we did our live audition at RCA. And I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, no, I wasn't. And I didn't, I didn't have my, my trip with alcohol until I was 27 to 29, and then I got pregnant at 30, and that changed my entire world. So I had my experience with alcohol, and that's it. I never did drugs. I tried it when I was little. A couple of times, I'd try my mom's blunt. Is that the word, blunt? Yeah, that's one of them, sure. Is that one of them? Okay. <laughs> and I tried her blunt, and I was like 13 years old, and I don't know how anybody does it. It didn't work for me because it made me even more dreamy and not want to go get a job, and that's not probably the best idea for me. So your mother becomes ill. She retires from the road. She becomes depressed. What's going through your mind? What the hell? I, I, I don't understand it. It's uh, the mystery of life for me. I'm doing uh, a lot of trauma work right now around that because I don't have any answers. And um, I don't understand because she had so much. She's the kind of person that would literally get out of the car, go into Walgreens, speak to every single person in there, call somebody's mother on the phone, and literally walk out of there, get in the car, and go home and lay on the couch for the next 24, 48 hours. That's why it's so, so hard to understand, and I'm still in the moment of what the hell am I supposed to do with this information? I'm trying to file it away neatly, but it's not that simple. And it's going to take a lifetime for me to get there. But she was the most charismatic, colorful character out in public. And then she would go lay on the couch for weeks at a time. And I would call her and she would cry. And I would think, wow, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And was she getting professional help? Yes. I, I will be honest with you, and I've never spoken about this before. I will tell you that I feel like the mental health community let her down. Because um, there was a lot of medication, and I don't know that, I just don't think she got the help she needed. I really don't, and that's my two cents worth. Um, Ashley certainly has hers, and I'll let her speak for herself. For me, watching mom, um, you know, she's an RN. She tended to look at doctors and other people as peers, and I wish someone had gone in and said, no, Naomi, no. So what's your relationship with Ashley these days? We are so different, and yet I have such a tenderness for her from raising her that I feel very motherly towards her. She calls me Sister Mommy, and we're working more on the sister part, uh, which is very painful because we were apart so much of the time. We were geographically in different worlds, and um, I missed her prom, and I missed her first experience with a boy, and there's just so much loss there that we're still trying to mend. As a matter of fact, I'm supposed to call her after this interview, and um, she wants me to come over to the house. 
we're both just so in different worlds, and yet we're trying to figure out a language that we can both speak. Well, how much contact do you have with her? A lot more than since mother died, a lot more. As a matter of fact, almost on a daily basis, we text, we FaceTime a lot, and I've been going over to her house. Um, the last time I went over, I uh, ear-candled her ears because she had uh, a cold. And I just, I try to go over and I take her soup. I'm the, I'm the big sister, you know? That's kind of the way it's always going to be. She's always going to be my little sister. I don't care how smart she is or how fabulous she looks in her Valentino dress. Um, I'm still her sister, and I do things to her that make her really uncomfortable. And that's my job. Give me an example of one thing you do that makes her uncomfortable. Well, I like to say things that are inappropriate. Because she's so good with words, and she'll say a word, and I don't know what the word is, and I'm like, what the hell does that word mean? I don't understand that word. Oh, is that like, and then I'll use a word that's really not okay with her because she's such an activist sometimes. It's like, hey, Ashley, snap out of it. You know, I'm your sister. I'm not I'm not here to uh, challenge you in any capacity other than the fact that I'm, I'm bigger than you and I can sit on you until you pee. So you're just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm here, and um, sometimes I apologize, sometimes I don't. But I do it just to keep her alive um, in the conversation because she's so smart that she's so intellectual that sometimes I just have to say, let's not be so individually over here separately smart. Let's be together and be silly and dumb and let's try to find a place that we can maneuver naturally and authentically, if that makes any sense. Yeah, sure, it does. When your mother gets hepatitis C, Mm -hmm. and retires from the road. So this is decades back. What do you think about going forward in your career? I'm both um, devastated and inspired to see what's next. I think I'm always looking forward to. I've always been that way, and I think that's a thing that you're born with. Um, I try not to. Mom was a lot more of the rearview mirror, and I'm more of the looking out the windshield. I could not wait until I saw Cactus Mosier that night with mom behind me and looking at her like, see that guy right there? I'm going to marry him and we're going to, you know, ride off into the sunset together. And that's what we're doing right now with the band. We're making a record. We're writing most of it. And we are determined to go to the next chapter. I'm on uh, a label, which I love the name Anti Records. I, there's just something about that that just thrills me. Um, Andy is interested in the musical experience as well. So I found finally a home where I feel like I can be as authentic and strange as I want to be without feeling the tug towards being popular, um, which we all want to be to a certain degree, but I also want the music to speak for itself. So Cactus and I are always talking about what's next, if that makes any sense. Like I'm already on the Judd's tour talking about what we're going to do after that if that makes sense. Yeah. How'd you end up on anti-records? Because Andy gets me, and it's a it's a record label where you've got um, Mavis Staples. You've got these characters that are just at the in the in the twilight, some of them, and then others, you know, there's just this, you know, Tom Waite. You, you have people that are on there that are able to be themselves, and there's no pressure to try to be younger and faster and fit in with all the, you know, TikTokers. It's just this great place to belong where you feel like you can just be yourself and 
yeah, if you get paid for it, that's really cool. And yet I did a show with Mavis Staples here at the Ryman Auditorium, and I just looked around like, is this really happening? Like, this is really my life. I don't know how I got here, but boy, am I really grateful that I don't have to worry about, well, let's try to be the comeback kid, you know? Okay, staying there, you have this unbelievable run with your mother, then you have a run solo, and the number one hits stop coming. What's that like emotionally? Hmm. I loved the songs so much, and this is going to sound really corny and maybe even a little cliche, but they're like my children. I loved them so much, I just was sad that other people didn't respond to them, and the label course certainly has their responsibility part of it i love the song so much i continued like every night to sing them regardless of whether they were number 10 or number 100 i didn't care about that part of it the emotional part came because i wanted the fans to hear the music and that was the frustration part for me was the numbers um more so than anything because i wanted people to hear only love which i still sing to this day as if it's you know, the most important top five important songs of my career and my life, because my music to me is more than just a career now. I've been doing it almost 40 years, and it's just so part of me. Um, it was difficult because I want to, I really want to please my producer. When I go in the studio, I'm known for singing it 20 times, even though we can fly vocals in because I want it to be different, each verse to be different. If you listen to my records, I'm really proud of the fact that we didn't fix a lot of vocals because I wanted people to love me live. I wanted to be able to cop it live. And I come from the era of when you have singers like Ann Wilson singing the way she does live, you're like, well, hell yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to sound like the record, but it's also supposed to sound real. So I had my moments of fe feeling tearful because I wanted the producer to be successful and be successful myself. Absolutely. But I'm still tied to the music today that I was even back in the 80s and 90s. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Talking about the penumbra, not the music itself, Mm -hmm. you talk about being on Johnny Carson, being on the Super Bowl, those opportunities are not as frequent, not to mention the fact other than the Super Bowl, does none of those things mean what they once did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But are you looking out of the front window enough to say, well, I did that then, other peaks will come, or does it bother you a little bit that the opportunities or peaks are not as plentiful as they once were? Hmm. It depends on if I go on social media. If, if and when I go on social media and I see what's going on out there, I feel like I'm missing prom. You know, I don't have a date for the prom. Uh-oh. And then if you take that away from me, which I try to stay away from it as much as possible uh, in terms of just staying in the music, staying authentic, staying authentic. I think about Susan Tedeschi, and I think about all these great musicians. And, um, you know, she and Derek Trucks are important to me. They're very important to me. They're on my record, and I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do for a living. Um, I'm getting ready to do a show uh, that I'm really proud of that I just feel like the music matters more than the TikTok numbers. So it depends on the day. Um, There are days when I'm not worried about it at all because I have such a great fan base, Bob. I have such tremendously loyal fans that come to every stinking show, whether it's Green Hall or it's Bridgestone here in Nashville, Tennessee. I literally have those fans, and I've earned them. I've worked really hard at gaining their loyalty and then there are other days when I realize I'm getting ready to sing with Kelsey Ballerini and she's the next, you know, big thing and I'm passing the torch to her. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do because that's what Loretta Lynn did to me, for me, and that's what women in country music do for one another. Ashley McBride, really good example of the next generation of greatness. She comes on stage and sings Rock Bottom and I look at her like, well, you go on with your bad self because... uh I'm 58 years old, and I can still get it if I have to, but you know what? You go on ahead, girl. And they get it. They know that I mean well. But yeah, I have my moments of looking on and seeing what everybody else is doing, and that's just not good for any of us. Do you feel confident in your talent and success, or were you in the past or even now haunted by imposter syndrome? Ooh. I told Oprah this. I did her show, by the way, 18 times more than anybody else because I was telling my story and giving my testimony. I told her that it took me years to feel like I earned my success because I felt like I won the freaking lottery in 1984 when I got a record deal. Next thing I know, we're on tour. And I felt like I hadn't played bars. I hadn't gone through the stuff that we hear about with all the other legendary performers and artists. So that I have struggled with in the past. Now I don't at all. I just don't. I just don't think that way. I think sometimes I'm missing out on things. Like when the Grammys come and go, I think, oh man, I should have gone to the Grammys this year. But I'm okay because I live on the farm. I sing when I need to and I go home when I can. 
And what about therapy for you? Have you had therapy? I do it every day, almost. I've been in uh, recovery now for since 2003, healing and recovery, uh, my middle name. And I'm known for it, but I don't flaunt it and I don't talk about it a lot because it's non- nobody's business. I just think it's important to continue to tell people I'm in a process. I was in one today, yesterday, and two days before. Because I think if you don't reach out, that's the problem. I think too many people like me think they have the answers and I know better. So this morning when I called my life coach, who has walked through a lot of crap in my life, he was the one that called me and said, come to your mom's right away. He was there when it happened. Ted was there, and he's our life coach since 2003. So we're all very connected. And yet, I'm in a process all the time. I'm working with David Kessler, a wonderful grief counselor, who is helping me understand that suicide is a mystery and there's no way to neatly wrap it up. So you're going to have to just walk through it, not around it. So yeah, heck yeah. I'm part That's of That's great. Yeah. And going back to the music, where do you get the songs from? Well, right now, Cactus Mosier and I are writing them because when I say I'm somewhere between hell and hallelujah, it's so intimate and so personal. Uh, a lot of hit makers hit me up for hey, check out this song, check out this song. Like Only Love came to me directly from the writer who had just finished writing it. I recorded it that very same day that he brought it to the studio. He knew I was recording and he brought it to the studio and that's that. She is his only need, same thing. Songwriter shows up at the studio, says, I want to play this for Winona, sings it to me live and we record it within the next 24 hours. Right now, it's coming from my guts. I just finished a song, I'm broken and blessed and this. Um, I can attest that I'm at the end of my rope, but I keep holding on. This is me. I'm broken and blessed and this. Um, it's coming from the gut. It's coming from the deepest part of my being. So look forward to uh, sharing that. Well, this is a transition because certainly in The Judge, you're known for cover songs. How do you make the transition to writing yourself? I started to trust myself more. I think after you have grown children and you've had as much failure as I've had, I thought literally when I started songwriting, what is the absolute worst that can happen? (laughs) They can suck and I can just keep on trying. Um, And I trust other songwriters, Brandy, other people who have talked to me, Robert Weir and I talked an awful lot about being in a band at a very young age and not knowing any better. And I just listen to people, you know, I, I, I meet all these young cats that come through and I just trust them because they're doing it. And I'm like, you know what, if Taylor Swift can do it, you know, she was such a young girl when I met her and I thought I had no idea that she would become, you know, this sensation. And I just think I trust myself now because I'm like, you know what, I'm going to talk to these people in the front row like they're my next door neighbor. And that's what we do in country music, especially. We tell stories, and I can tell a story just like anybody else. Um, I want to write a song about sisters, and I want to write a song about my mother. I'm working on that. And I'm writing a song about my granddaughter because she's eight months old, and her name is Kalia, and she's the light of my life. You mentioned you had a lot of failures. Which failures are you talking about? Well, relationships, um, songs that have you know not worked, obviously, um, tours, you name it. I've had good days and not great days. And the, the ones that were the toughest are the ones that taught me the most. Um, when my biological father died, I felt devastated. 
and I felt like a part of my life I would never get back. Stuff like that, you know, where you just make really bad decisions financially, the wrong people. I've been so severely betrayed. Anytime you have that many people in your life, you're going to have issues with that. And I've just learned from every single person I've ever met. It's been a gift, not exactly what I would want, but it was necessary for me to finally say, no, I'm going to listen to my gut more. I'm going to say that doesn't work for me. By the way, it's changed my business model to say that doesn't work for me. Be a little more specific. How did it change your business model? Well, I'm, I'm a people pleaser, and I tend to come to meetings wanting to be clever, cute, and adorable and want people to work with me. And I had to learn to say no in a way that people would say, well, tell me more about that. And I learned that when you walk into a situation, whether it's you know, with a friend or someone in the White House, you have to say, you know what, I would love to do that, and I can't. And they would say, well, what can you do? It's that way there's a relationship there. It's not a dictatorship. It's a democracy. So that doesn't work for me helps me with democracy because I'm a, definitely a team player. I'm not one of these. It's why not it incorporated, but there's a lot incorporated into me and a lot of people running it. So when I say that doesn't work for me, Bob, um, that doesn't work for me talking about that or so far I've been willing to talk about everything we've talked about, but there are times when in interviews, for instance, I'll say, well, you know what? That doesn't really work for me to talk about that. And then they'll say, well, let's talk about this, and then we'll move on. Well, I think that's pretty clear. How much <laughs> do you listen to music at home, and what music oh, do you listen to? All the time. My husband is one of those characters. You would love him, by the way. As next time we talk, I want him to be a part because he is he goes back to the 60s. He's got a record collection unlike anyone I know. And he loves every single thing and he knows more about music from the Beastie Boys to the Birds. I mean, he is all in. And he'll play something for me and I'll be like, "Oh my god, I had no idea." He played Blackbird for me and I went, "Huh? What the heck?" He's a rock and roll genius when it comes to history. And he is a maverick when it comes to music. So he's always playing stuff in the car, and I'm always going, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? And he lets me know that, who's the character on Yellowstone that we just discovered? The, the, young, the young kid who's playing and, and selling out everywhere, Zach. Zach Bryan. Zach Bryan? Yeah, he turned me on to Zach Bryan. Unbelievable. Yeah, he just turned me on to Zach Bryan. So he's always at the forefront, and he's always bringing me behind him with grabbing my hand saying, here, we're going to go see this person. We're going to go see this person. It was his idea to, for me to meet Robert Weir. So here we are, you know, and now we're besties. Um, and he, by the way, he texts me back within 10 minutes. He, most, most people don't do that. Um, so I'm, I listen to music so much. I'm more immersed in it than I've ever been. I will tell you straight up. I am an artist, not a celebrity. Some people are famous for being famous. I am not. I am in it because I want to play these small, we're playing small places as well as the big places this year. I'm not just one of those that I won't play it if it doesn't have 3,000 seats. I will play Green Hall every single time they invite me in Austin, Texas. Okay. Other than your property, are there any other luxuries, whether it be cars, flying private, <laughs> clothes, jewelry, any other way you say, yeah, I got you money. So I like funny. to do it this you, way. You are so funny. 
you know what I like to buy? Tractors. I'm working on a deal with TSC, so let me just tell you straight up. I don't do, I don't fly privately unless it's offered to me or I go in with somebody. Um, I don't buy a lot of cars. I haven't driven in a while because of the pandemic. I now am driven because, I, I don't know, I just like to sit in the back and call people and talk on the phone. Um, luxuries. No, I don't wear jewelry because I'm a guitar player. I've been playing since I was eight years old, so that's 50 years I've been playing guitar and getting away with it. And I don't really buy a lot of clothes. If you look at most of my videos, it's like, oh, she's wearing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. I won't say that I don't care, but I think I probably should more. Now, when it comes to hair, I think if I spend anything, I spend lots of money on extensions and sparkles. That's the first time, it's the first time I've ever said the word extensions. I'm going to let that lie. Um, <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> tell me about two tingle moments meeting people. Oh, my gosh. Well, the first one was for me, President Reagan, because he was my very first president that I met. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like a movie. And I was just enamored with the whole way that things were done back then. You know, everything was such a big deal and. Secret Service and performing for him and going through the the whole thing that I had to go through to perform. That was number one, uh, President's stuff. And then Super Bowl, when they whisk you out and you have 30 seconds to get out there, do your thing and get the heck out of Dodge, that's pretty tingly, you know, because you have only a certain amount of time to get your stuff done. Um, let's see, I bungee jumped. That was exciting. Well, 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 tell me about that. <laughs> well, when I went solo, I took my whole band and we bungee jumped at one of those, uh, what do you call those things? Six Flags. I think it was at a Six Flags. We had just done a show and I was like, we're in between. Remember when we used to do two shows a night, by the way? Hello? Yeah, right. We were doing two shows that night and I had time in between shows. And so I took everybody and said, whoever will bungee jump gets a hundred bucks. And uh, I just, I just remember that being a real moment for me because it was, I listen, I was single, I was rich, I was young, and I was in control, or so I thought. Ha ha ha, big joke. But I remember thinking I'm free, and so bungee jumping represented being free to me. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done, and I'll never do it again. But are you that much of a risk taker? Yes, definitely. So I think that's why I drove mother so crazy. Give me a couple of other examples. Oh, you know, buying houses with cash, um, picking the wrong guy to marry, and ending up almost broke. Um, oh, you name it. I think I've done it, dude. I think I've done some really stupid stuff and uh, lived to write about it. It's in my book. I, I talk about it very openly because I know that in our failures, that's how we learn to set boundaries. And I have really good boundaries now, better than I did anyway. But generally speaking, are you impulsive? Yes. I'm so impulsive that my um, assistant locks the doors because she knows I'll jump out and run up and, and knock on somebody's door. And you think I'm kidding. I will do it. I think that's because everybody's so freaking serious. I'm so tired of everybody being so unhappy. I just want people to have some joy, you know. And if I can bring joy to somebody, 
I will, I will walk over to somebody. I did this the other day. Somebody was singing karaoke in a bar and somebody called me and said, uh, they're doing your song and they really suck. And I said, give, give me, give her the phone. And I FaceTimed her and she looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> and I loved it so much. I was like, oh, let's do that again. No, I love doing stuff like that. And you obviously have this new record on anti you're working on, mm-hmm. but anything looking out the front window of the uh, of life that you would like to accomplish in the time you have left? I want to, like John Lennon said, I just want to be remembered for being a good person because I think this business is really hard, and sometimes it takes the joy out of us and. You know what I want to do? I want to be self-sufficient on the farm. I love, love, love the idea of growing my own food, and who knows what will come of it. I'd like to have concerts on the farm. I'd love to invite the fans out for a fish fry and do their own fishing. I would like to get back down to real. I want real more than anything in this life. I want real. I think the business is incredibly fake sometimes with all the filters and the Eyebrows are perfect and everything's in place. It's hard to believe anymore what's real. So whatever I can do to be real, if I can start opening up the farm and doing concerts around the lake, come on, let's do it. I might even invite you. Well, it certainly sounds great. (laughs) Uh, Shy of that, as we're in the middle of winter, anything we didn't talk about that you feel your fans need to know or you want to get off your chest or want to illuminate? Hmm. Interesting timing. That question is very interesting. I had to cancel um, a performance the other night because my body just said, you know what? No is a complete sentence. And uh, of course, you know, things go viral and people talk and they wonder and they worry. And people are saying, oh, she just doesn't look well. And is she okay? And I will tell you straight up, not only am I okay, I'm doing better than I actually thought I would be doing at this point in this process. I've got an incredibly strong will and an incredible faith. Now, I get hopeless, and I do have days where I just feel like, oh, my God, I don't have the answer, and that's just part of it. But I would tell my fans that I'm in a process, and that process can be trusted, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer uh, send lawyer guns and money. Um, I want to be honest with fans and tell them that I struggle some days with feeling like it's too much. You know, this tour is a big tour, and I have to show up and kind of act like I know what I'm doing, by the way. And I'm also the hostess for Ashley McBride and Brandy and Little Big Town, and it's going to be a lot. But I'm telling the fans everywhere I go, don't worry about me. You can pray for me. Um, you can see yourself in me. I'm struggling at times. I'm broken and I'm blessed. On that note, I think we've come to the end of the feeling we've known. We've covered it. Why? I want to thank you so much for taking the time and being so honest and open and real, as you said. Well, my life depends on it. So you're welcome. Till next time, this is Bob Left Sets.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.